We have been in a series looking at God's design for the church and for our church, where we've identified a vision that we believe God would have Calvary Bible Church be making fully committed followers of Jesus Christ, and a mission that we would be using the acronym WIFE, providing opportunities for all of us in worship, instruction, fellowship, and in evangelism, W-I-F-E. And as we come to this last sermon in this series, we're going to consider the biblical roles of men and women in the church in general. What does the New Testament have to say about the biblical roles of men and women in Christ's church? Of course, it ought not to surprise us that the word of God does speak to these issues because God is a God of order and a God of revelation. And your pastors and elders have been studying scripture on this whole matter of the role of men and women in the church for over a year now. And I'm pleased to present the fruit of our labors in the text uh, to you this morning. We're going to be looking at a new statement on the biblical roles of men and women in the church in this time of sermon. Let me begin by reading the statement, and uh, then we'll circle back on the statement more than once, as I've just said. The statement begins with, the scriptures teach both an equality and a distinctiveness when it comes to the two genders in the church. Men and women are equal in such matters as bearing God's image, benefiting from God's salvation, receiving God's spiritual gifts, functioning as working parts of the body of Christ, and becoming disciples or fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. In all of these areas, men and women are absolutely equal. Now, we see Galatians 3.28 speaks to that beautifully when it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So when it comes to our identity as believers, we are equal. The genders are equal in bearing God's image, befitting, uh, benefiting rather from God's salvation, receiving God's spiritual gifts, functioning as working parts of the body of Christ and becoming disciple followers of the Lord Jesus. That being said, scripture also teaches that men and women are distinct from one another and that they are to complement one another, not to say a nice thing about each other, not that kind of a compliment, but a compliment, C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T, to compliment, to fill in for each other, to uh, enhance one another as we serve and worship in the body of Christ. And so some verses that would talk about the distinction between uh, men and women in any local church would be verses like Titus 2, 2 to 5. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance, and now turning to the women. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. So we see in that passage that there's a distinctiveness in what God intends for men to do in a church and what God intends for women to do in a church. Let's carry on with more of the distinction. 1 Timothy 3, uh, 1 and 2 and 3, they read, It is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires 
to the overseer is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free from the love of money. So God, in the New Testament here, relays what the qualifications are for the overseer, or we would say the pastor. Some people would say the bishop. That's a a male function within the body and bride of Christ, and the qualifications are there for what that overseer should be like, the character of his life. And then turning to 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 and 9, we see that God has qualifications for male deacons in a local church as well. 1 Timothy 3, 8 and 9. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So these verses are telling us that when it comes to the function of pastor, overseer, bishop, or deacon, that God addressed in the New Testament men and expected that men would serve in these roles and have certain character qualities would make them qualified to serve in these roles. And so let me break this statement so far down. Let me read it again. The scriptures teach both an equality and a distinctiveness when it comes to the two genders in the local church. Men and women are equal in matters such as bearing God's image, benefiting from God's salvation, receiving God's spiritual gifts, and functioning as working parts of the body of Christ and becoming disciples. Men and women are distinct from one another, and they are to complement one another in ministry. Let me break away from the statement to expand upon it a little bit. The distinctiveness that we are seeing that God presents for men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ in a church, is not a distinctiveness of competition. It is not a distinctiveness of rivalry, nor is it a distinctiveness of one-upsmanship. It's a division of labor. The distinctiveness that God prescribes for a local church between the men and the women of the local church is a brilliant division of labor that God has designed. It's a God-provided order for a church's ministry. And so male Christians and female Christians are not to copy each other, to be identical carbon copies of one another with respect to function within a church, but instead we are to complement, as I said, C-O-M-P-L-E, not L-I, L-E-M-E-N-T. We are to complement each other. We are to enhance one another by doing the roles that God has laid out for us in the New Testament to do that are gender specific. We are enhancing each other's ministries, not competing with each other, not rivaling each other, and not trying to get up on each other. Let me try to illustrate this ideal of complementing men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ, by function complementing one another in the local church. These are some uh, non-church illustrations. Bacon is a compliment to eggs. A lounge chair is a compliment to a day at the beach. A gift certificate is a compliment to shopping in a store. And of course, bacon isn't identical to eggs, but it just makes eggs better. And eggs 
make bacon better. And a lounge chair isn't identical to a day at the beach, but a lounge chair makes a day at the beach better, and a day at the beach makes a lounge chair better. And a gift certificate isn't identical to shopping in the store, it just makes the shopping better. And the shopping at the store makes the gift certificate better. So men and women with differing roles defined by the New Testament are to complement one another, to make each other's ministries within a local church better than they would be if there wasn't a different gender with a different functionality. And so male Christians are not identical in our function in the church to female Christians because according to God's design, the distinct genders make each other better in the church. When we each are doing the things that the scriptures tell us we should do that are gender specific, that are complementing to one another, then we're a better church than if we didn't follow those guidelines and job descriptions as it were. I can remember when Beth and I were in premarital counseling. We went to the pastor and he gave us an instrument, an inventory to fill out independent of him and independent of each other. And he gathered us together after we had done the exercise and he looked through Beth's paper and he looked through my paper and he looked up from his glasses and he says, well, I don't think I've ever given this test to any two people who are going to get married that they're so different as you guys are. (laughs) My heart sank. My heart sank. He says, but wait, it's not bad. He says, when you are so different from each other, you will find ways with the spirit of God's help to complement each other in many different ways. Not say a nice thing about each other in many different ways, but to function and to help one another function better in the various roles that we had in our marriage. And boy, have we seen that. We have seen that over the 38 years that we've been married. We have seen how the differences that God has built into us by our temperaments, our backgrounds, our upbringings, our education, um, our worldview when it comes to things other than Christ as Savior and the Word of God is the Word of God. But sometimes we view the world in extraneous ways and less secondary ways a little differently as men and women. We've seen over the years that whereas it could be this, If this is me and this is Beth, and we have all these differences, it could be that if we don't cooperate with the Holy Spirit and seek to complement each other in our marriage, we could have a lot of sparks. The fingertips could be hitting like this all the time. But what the pastor taught us before we said I do, and what we've sought to continue to do for 38 years now, is to let the Holy Spirit adjust me and adjust Beth. So although we still remain different in our strengths and weaknesses, we can mesh and complement one another and have a ministry team that's better than if Beth was single and better than if I was single. Together, as one, we fill in and complement one another in the person that God has made us each to be and in the roles he's called each of us to do in our marriage. And so To this day, Beth fills in where I'm lacking, and I fill in where Beth is lacking. And Beth looks after jobs that I'm not very good at, and I look after jobs that Beth is not very good at. Now, if we both didn't lack anything, if we brought individually everything we needed to be a marriage team to the table, both of us, and we were both identical, 
in the way we see things, the way we do things, our strengths, our weaknesses, etc. If we were both identical, one of us would be redundant, right? Redundant means to be no longer needed. Redundant means to be no longer useful. Redundant means to be extra and without purpose. So thank God that Beth and I are different. And she's not redundant, neither am I redundant. And so let me give you some examples of things that are redundant in our culture. A driver's license which has no photo on it is redundant when it comes to being photo ID. A broken down payphone, I've seen a couple of them in the city, a broken down payphone is redundant because almost all of us have cell phones. The old TV guide, some of you are old enough to know you subscribe to a little book that said TV guide on the front. It came, uh, either you bought it at the supermarket each week or sometimes they delivered it to your house. And you would take this TV guide and you would see what's on on Monday night at 7 o'clock and we all list it out. Well, now that's redundant because cable TV and things like that have given the programming right on our television screens what the programs are at what time and so on. So sisters in Christ have a different function in the church than brothers in Christ, and neither of of us are redundant. We're both needed. We both need to enhance the service we render to Christ in the church. Now, going back to the Garden of Eden, we know that Adam and Eve and their relationship was one before the fall into sin of perfection. They uh, were the perfect marriage team until they fell into sin. And we know back then that Eve was very far from being redundant. She completed Adam in many ways. And when God looked over all that he had created by the word of his mouth in those literal days of creation, he saw that was good and that was good and that was good and that was good. But do you remember what he said was not good? When he saw the man he had created, that he was lonely, he said that is not good for the man to be alone. So God created Eve the first woman. And God created her for Adam to be his helpmate, his helper, a perfectly suitable helper for him in his life's work and worship and so forth. And so it says in Genesis 2.18, then the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And that's exactly what God did. It's also interesting that when you think about it, God had created um, all that was created, and he's only seen one thing in all that he created that wasn't good, and that was Adam's aloneness or his loneliness. And then God created the first woman to be Adam's wife, and then God stopped creating. So in some way, uh, woman is the chandelier of God's creative works. Far from being a second-class citizen, far from being marginalized in the work of God. God, in Christ, raised women and their status in the New Testament in many different ways, and we can be grateful that he did. And so Adam once was alone and lonely. Eve was needed. She enhanced Adam, and she was in no way redundant. And similarly, in Christ's church, Neither males nor females are redundant either. We are to enhance one another with distinct roles. The scriptures teach both an equality and a distinctiveness when it comes to the two genders in the local church. Men and women are equal in matters such as bearing God's image, benefiting from God's salvation, 
receiving God's spiritual gifts, functioning as working parts of the body of Christ, and becoming disciples or followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Men and women are distinct from one another, and they are to complement one another in ministry. Based on the orders found in creation, the fall into sin, the triune Godhead, and within the local church, the scriptures encourage women to participate in most every ministry, but they do not allow women to hold the office of pastor teacher. This dictate restricts the office of pastor, elder, bishop to men, and invites women to serve Christ in other church ministries. And we say, see Romans 16, 1 to 16, which mentions several esteemed female church workers, especially. And so in that work that God has called the women in the assembly to do, it's especially to raise up their children to be godly believers and mentoring other women and children who are not their own to be followers of Christ. So that's the whole statement. But I want to double back to the part of the statement that says, based on the orders found in creation. Let's start with the orders found in creation. And we'll see from Genesis 2.18 this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a, a suitable helper for him. And then 1 Timothy 2.13, for Adam, it was Adam who was first created, then Eve. So there was an order in the creation when it came to gender. Second, we're saying based on the order found with respect to the fall into sin. In Genesis 3.6, it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and, the, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And then 1 Timothy 2.14 makes commentary on that historic fall into sin when it says, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell into transgressions. So based on the order of creation with respect to the genders both in creation and the order of the fall into sin and the order of the triune Godhead, which also is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 11.3 when it says, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. So we know that within the Godhead, although all members of the Trinity are co-equal and divine, there's an ordering. The Father sent the Son, the Father sent the Spirit to glorify the Son. And similarly, there's to be an order within the functionality of any local church. And 1 Timothy 3.15 speaks to this. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the truth, excuse me, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. So the statement goes on, based on the orders in creation, the fall into sin, the triune Godhead, and within the church, the scriptures encourage women to participate in most every ministry. 1 Peter 4.10. As each one of you has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This is basically saying that when you come to Christ 
for salvation, the Holy Spirit endows you, whether you're a man or a woman, with at least one spiritual gift. And whether you're a man or a woman who has received at least one spiritual gift, you are to use that spiritual gift for the building up of the brothers and sisters around you and the testimony or the assembly that you are a part of. The um, statement goes on. The scriptures encourage women to participate in most every ministry, but they do not allow women to hold the office of pastor-teacher. In 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 2, we see this. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. So clearly, this verse would indicate that the office of pastor-teacher is restricted to the males within a, a local church assembly. Some churches don't see it that way, have female pastors, but in this statement, we acknowledge as elders that we believe that the office or role of pastor-teacher is restricted by the scriptures to being uh, qualified men. Statement goes on. That being the case, the dictate restricts the office of pastor, elder, bishop to uh, men, and it invites women to serve Christ in other church ministries, especially in the raising up of their children to be godly believers and mentoring other women and children who are not their own to be followers of Jesus Christ. And then we see in that verse, Titus uh, 2, 3 through 5, special instruction for the sisters in Christ. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, and to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. But let me try to simplify the statement and shorten the statement to these points. These are summary points of the statement that's longer that I've read. In the church, men and women are both equal and distinct. Equal in identity, distinct in function. The distinct functions are to complement each other, to enhance each other. The scriptures encourage women to participate in most every ministry, but they do not allow women to hold the office of pastor-teacher. The Bible invites women to serve Christ in other church ministries, especially in the raising up of their own children to be godly believers, and the mentoring of other women and children who are not their own to be followers of Christ. So this is the statement. And at this point in time, you may be wondering, how will this statement be practically applied in the uh, life and ministries of Calvary Bible Church? Well, this is not an exhaustive list of how it will be applied, but let me give you some sample uh, real-life ministry scenarios. And after your pastors and elders have studied scriptures, we have concluded that sisters in Christ can read scripture in the worship service, but not preach scripture. Sisters in Christ 
cannot serve as many church co-leaders. Sisters in Christ can give reports from ministries or reports from mission fields or personal testimonies in the worship service. Sisters in Christ cannot teach the Bible to Calvary Bible Church groups such as many church, which includes men in them. This would be the case either by electronic means or in person. And lastly, as an application, sisters in Christ can preach to other women. So, in conclusion, brothers and sisters in Christ are equal in some respects to do with creation, salvation, and spiritual gifting. But brothers and sisters in Christ are different in their God-given ministries within the church. To put that another way, brothers and sisters in Christ are equal in identity, but distinct in function. In much the same way that the three persons in the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, also known as the Trinity, are co-equal divinity, but different and specialized in their functions. And so in the church, brothers in Christ are to complement, enhance the ministry of women in the church, and the sisters in Christ are to complement, that is, enhance the ministry of the brothers in Christ in the church. And as we seek to cooperate with this ordering of function within the body and bride of Christ, we can expect God's blessing. We can expect peace and edifying tone and a unity that honors the Lord Jesus. And as the genders fill each other in, in ministry, we bring glory to God in the church, which to review what we have said the church is in these, these messages. The church is the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the building of God, the priesthood, the flock of Christ, the branches of the vine, and the household or family of God and the pillar of the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these moments together. We thank you, Lord, that in your brilliance you have created humans as men and women. We thank you for the differences and we thank you for those things we share in common. We thank you that as we understand what the New Testament has to say about the roles of men and women in the church, that we would each uh, yield to those uh, distinctions with a glad heart and with grace, that we would be encouragers of one another in the service rendered to Jesus Christ, who is worthy. We pray, Lord, that what may have been unclear in the past would be more clear after this study and the statement which the elders have worked on. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that those looking in would see a beautiful bride, a beautiful body called the church, where every believer is needed and every believer is functioning in accordance with the will and plan of God. So, Lord, bless this church to the end that we will be a blessing to others, that we will have our, our home as a household of faith in order so that we can welcome in others into this home through evangelism and we can help them to find their places of faith and ministry within this spiritual family 
in the days and weeks and months and years which lie ahead. We pray this, Lord, for your honor and for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.